Certainly no one who is a member of the Lord's Church or has been a member of the Lord's Church for any length of time would deny that the mission of the church has been accurately defined as evangelism, edification, and benevolence. In our lesson today, I want us to look at one of those areas that is of vital importance. They're all vitally important. But I want to emphasize one today, and that is edification. How important it is for us to be built up, how important it is for us to build one another up in the faith, that is in our Christian walk. You know, I think Anne's sweet note that she wrote that Steve read a moment ago is a beautiful illustration of what we're going to be talking about today and how she expressed that her Christian family here had been such a strength and comfort to her and to her family. That's what we should be. That's what edification involves. It involves building one another up. It involves strengthening. It involves comforting. That's what we're about as God's family. I want to look at our subject today under three headings. First of all, the essence of edification. What is its essence? And then I want us to see the essentiality of edification. And finally, the effects of edification. First of all, think about the essence of edification. You know, when we talk about the essence of something, we're talking about the properties that characterize it or that identify it. And as we have already mentioned, the essence or the central idea of edification is to, to build up. The lexicographer Thayer defines the Greek word in the following ways. He says it means to found or to establish something. It means to promote growth in Christian wisdom in Christian affection, in grace, in virtue, in holiness, in blessedness. It means to grow in wisdom and piety. And so we can see from all of these meanings that the essence of edification as part of the mission of the Lord's Church is to build itself up. And that is done through teaching. It's done through admonition of one another in various ways. We do it in our singing, don't we? What we have just engaged in to this point in our worship and song is designed to edify. Because as Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 and a parallel passage, Colossians 3, 16, remind us that we're to teach and admonish one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And in so doing, we praise God, but we also teach and admonish one another. And that teaching and admonishing involves building up and edifying. And of course, we edify in our Bible classes. We edify in our, in our sermons. Acts 2.42, the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers. Acts 20 and verse 7, the church came together on the first day of the week to break bread. Paul preached to them. And so he admonished them, he preached to them, he taught them, he edified them. And of course, we also edify through 
personal exhortation and through personal admonition of one another. Remember what the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews 10, 24. He said, let us consider one another in order to what? In order to stir up love and good works. And that's why attendance is so important. Because it affords us the opportunity to do just that. When we come together, it affords us the opportunity to edify one another in the assembly of the saints. And so, as we gain the fuller context of the passage we have just read from verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Then the writer goes on, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He ties the stirring up to love and good works with the assembling of ourselves together. He says, don't forsake that as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I've mentioned before that the day in that context I clearly believed to be the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. And that the Hebrews epistle was written prior to A.D. 70 before the destruction of Jerusalem. And it was a horrific experience. It was a very trying experience for every child of God. And so the writer was saying, stir up love and good works, come together, do not forsake your coming together, and as you do, exhort one another, and so much the more as you see that awful day approaching, because you are going to need that exhortation, you're going to need that building up. Now, we're not facing a similar event that has been prophesied in Scripture, but who could deny that we are facing some very serious times in our nation, in our land. And who would deny that it has come very close to home in recent days with the awful events not very long ago right here in the death of, deaths of five soldiers. Oh yes, we face some troublesome times, some difficult times. Decisions have been made by the Supreme Court of our land that may bring about times that we never thought we would find ourselves in. Challenges we never thought we would have to face. Persecution, potentially, that we never thought would come, at least in that form, and yet it could very well be on the horizon. We need each other. We need each other. Whether these things were on the horizon, whether there were challenges or not, there would be challenges of some kind. Always, always have been challenges, always will be challenges. And we need each other. We need to build one another up. Later in our lesson, I'm going to examine Hebrews 10.24 in a little more detail. Meanwhile, how can I exhort and edify a brother or sister when the church comes together if I'm not together? with the church. So I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll be here every time the doors are open, if at all possible. And I realize there are physical hindrances and other things, but let's strive to be together at every opportunity we have. And thank God for those opportunities because we need each other, but obviously we need the God of heaven above all. But not only do I not edify my brothers and sisters, by my absence I become a source of concern and potential discouragement to my brothers and sisters if my absence is a willful absence. Now in the second place, 
having looked at the essence briefly of edification and building up, what about the essentiality of it? And we look at this part of our study by simply examining several scriptures that mention edification. And as we do, I hope you will be struck as I was by how much emphasis there is in the New Testament on this matter. How important it was to the Holy Spirit to reveal to the inspired writers of the New Testament the need for edification, the essentiality of it. What about Romans 15 verse 2? What a passage this is. Paul writes, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. What a passage. Listen to it again. Let each of us, every one of us, please his neighbor for his good, for our neighbor's good, for the purpose of what? Leading to what? Leading to his edification. Leading to his being built up. Leading to his being encouraged. Let's build him up. Then we come to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. A passage that says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now there's a passage that tells us that the work of all in the church is to edify. It's a responsibility all of us have, not just the responsibility of the elders, not just the responsibility of the deacons or the preacher, but for everyone. Now, when this passage was penned by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, it was during the time of miraculous gifts. And these things were carried out through miraculous gifts in the infancy of the church. They were needed until this came into its full and complete existence. But now that we have come to the unity of the faith, and that's what verse 13 of Ephesians 4 tells us, till we all come to the what? To the unity of faith? No, to the unity of the faith. Big difference. To the unity of the faith, to the unity of Christianity. All of it once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude wrote in Jude 3. That's where we are now. Now, this word, the New Testament, supplies all we need to be able to build one another up. I have everything I need right here to know how to build you up. You have everything you need right here to know how to build me up, and we can do that mutually. And this fact is a fact that Paul makes clear as we keep on reading in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Listen to it. That we should no longer be children. In other words, we've come to the unity of the faith. When we do come to the unity of the faith, and we have, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, listen to it, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. We've got the whole body by every joint supplying to that body, we have what? According to the effective working by which, listen to it again, every part does its share. 
does what, Paul? Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. For the edifying of itself in love. Every part doing its share. What other passage is needed to show how essential edification is to the body of Christ? And what other passage is needed to show how essential edification is to every member of the body? And that it is something in which all of us are to be involved. Every joint, every joint is to supply something to the body. Every joint is to do its share. Does that mean every joint does the same thing as every other joint? If that were the case in your body, you'd be a mess. Sure enough, wouldn't you? Every joint does its share. Not every joint does the same thing, but every joint supplies. Every joint contributes. And when this is being done, it causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now what if every member relied on every other member to do the edifying in the church? We'd have no edification, really, at all. None at all. But when every member takes seriously the essentiality of edification, the effects are tremendous. And that leads us to our last point. What about the effects of edification? Let me read one to you in Acts 9, verse 31, about the early church. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Acts 9, 31. This one verse, this one verse reveals several effects of edification through the teaching of God's Word. Edification brought peace. They had peace. That's precious, isn't it? Peace in the Lord's body is a precious, precious commodity. And peace and edification go hand in hand. When each member... Listen to it. When each member is concerned about edification of others, he's going to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Every member needs to be concerned about edification. You know, that's a reason why we publish every week and have it available on Wednesday nights, the new sheet, the visitor absentee sheet, we call it. You know what that's for? That's information. But it's information that is to lead to what? Edification. It's a sheet that is to be used by the elders alone who need to be in touch with everybody themselves and it doesn't matter whether anybody else does it or not. It's a sheet that's used by the deacons alone. No. No, it's a sheet that is to be used by all of us, isn't it? So that all of us are informed so that we have the information that will encourage us toward edification. And many of you do just that and do it beautifully. And we need to make sure we continue to do that. 
that we are concerned about one another. Paul made this point so clear in another passage when he wrote these words. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. 1 Timothy 1 verse 4. Godly edification. Godly edification growing out of a deep faith is going to engender peace rather than strife. When we have that godly edification, we're going to have peace. Now these churches we read about in Acts were edified to walk in the fear of the Lord. They were comforted and they were edified by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And not only were they edified, but they were multiplied. And when the church is edifying itself, it will grow. It will grow spiritually. Has to. Has to grow spiritually. And more often than not, that spiritual growth is going to lead to numerical growth. You see, sincere seekers of truth in the world out here are going to see in us a spirit of love. And that spirit of love is going to attract them to the Lord's church. And so we learn from Acts 9 verse 32 that edification leads to multiplication. You know, that's... That's really what we're seeking to accomplish next Saturday. As we let those in need in the community know of our concern for them. To help them materially, yes, but to be prepared and ready and eager to help them spiritually as well. Janice just this week had a conversation with a, a lady, a mother who called, has a 12-year-old. She works about six or seven days a week, and she said, I have been made aware of what you're going to be doing on Saturday, August the 8th, and I really would like for my son to be able to be helped by, by those supplies. And Janice said, well, what we'll do, we'll just set aside a, a backpack for you with his name on it. We'll make sure, and you can pick it up at a convenient time. And then she talked to her about the church and what her religious background was, and she said, oh, I really would like for my my son, to be able to be in Bible classes, would you be able to have a class where he could uh, be able to attend? Like on Wednesday night, she mentioned specifically, Jan says, yes, absolutely. That's results already before the event has occurred itself. And that's what we're to be about. That's benevolence, yes, but it's benevolence leading to evangelism and Ultimately, edification, because as we mentioned before, all three areas of the work of the church really dovetail into the saving of souls as we meet physical needs and seek to reach the most important need, the spiritual need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Here's another passage on edification. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, that's Colossians, or Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what should proceed? What is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers? And so what we learn from Paul's statement here is that our words of edification impart grace to those who hear us. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, we're to grow in grace. 
The passage in Ephesians we've just read indicates that our proper words of edification may help others to grow in favor with God. Isn't that a wonderful goal? That our words would help others grow in favor with God? Grow in grace? Now, does that mean that we should never, ever say anything to a brother or sister in Christ by way of, of rebuke? Well, no. No, such a, a position violates the clear teaching of Scripture because we are commanded to rebuke a brother or sister who sins against us and to forgive such a one when, when repentance is forthcoming. That's Luke 17 and verse 3. And so what we need to appreciate is that building up our brothers and sisters, building them up may at times involve tearing down the sin in their lives. I didn't say tearing them down. We don't ever seek to tear anybody down. But in order at times to build up a brother or sister, it becomes necessary to tear down the sin that is destroying the individual. You remember how many things Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about things they needed to correct in their lives? Time and time again, he rebuked them very Strongly, really. But what were the last words of that epistle? In 1 Corinthians 16, 24, he said, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Those were his last words. When he got ready to, to pen those final words, do you think he paused and said, Now, wait a minute, I can't write that. Because <laughs> I have rebuked them in chapter 1 for their division among them, following preachers, and then I... I rebuked them in chapter 3 and, and said they were actually carnal. And then in chapter 5, I rebuked them because they had not withdrawn from the brother who was living with his stepmother. And then in chapter 6, I rebuked them because they were going to court against these heathen judges and not settling these smallest of trivial matters among themselves. And then in, in chapter 11, I rebuked them because they were mingling the Lord's Supper with their love feast, apparently, that were characteristic of the early church, and they were actually cliquish in their, in their behavior because they were, <clears throat> they were leaving out certain brethren. I rebuked them for that. So did he, did he pause when he got to the end and said, I can't say my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. No, I don't believe he hesitated for a moment. There was no hypocrisy there. Why? Because it was his deep love for them that prompted the rebuke. It was his desire to do what? Build them up. He was trying to build them up by tearing down the sin. And oh, how we need to appreciate the importance of that. I am struck by the word for love that the Lord used in Revelation 3.19 when he said to the church at Laodicea through John, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. You know what the word for love there is? It is not agape, the highest form of love that wishes for the one and does for the one that is the object of the love, that which is best. Did he not have agape love for them? Of course he did. But he didn't use that word. He used a word from the word phileo, which is the love that means 
deep emotion and warm affection. And that is significant because what he was saying is, I love you so much, I have so much deep and warm affection for you that I'm telling you to repent. That's how much I love you. Oh, how important it is for us to understand and appreciate that. But to have that same compassion for those who at times have to be built up by tearing down the sin in their lives. Love edifies by teaching others what is right and wrong. That's edification. And discipline like that which Paul called upon the Corinthian church to practice in 1 Corinthians 5 was designed to deliver, not to destroy, the soul of the one disciplined. And oh, again, how we need to make sure we understand that and appreciate that in the Lord's church today. Now we're back to Hebrews 10.24. Passage we said we'd spend just a little more time with. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. This verse tells us we're to edify and encourage each other to love one another. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Think about the superlatives there. The Lord make you to increase in love. The Lord make you to abound in love. Just as we do to you, you love all men. And to the Philippians, he expressed it this way. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. There are those superlatives again. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all Discernment, Philippians 1 and verse 9. You see, love ever grows as knowledge and discernment of God's word grow. We're to teach one another by our love, by our words, and our actions. And a second effect of edification in Hebrews 24 is what? Good works. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love, but something else we're to stir up is what? Good works. You know, the denominational world, sadly, today denies the essentiality of works. And yet right here and in so many other places, but right here we're told that we're to stir up one another in order to work, to do good works. And this builds up the church. Ephesians 2.10 Reminds us that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before that we should walk in them. They're God's works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, that's when you became a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, that's when you were created in Christ Jesus and you were created to work. And Revelation 14, 13 says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And so the Christian life is a life of works from beginning till death. That's how long we're to work. But they're not our works in which we're to engage. They're God's works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's what we need to try to get men and women everywhere to understand. 
that we're not trying to work our way to heaven by our own works of merit. We're simply working our way to heaven by engaging in the works, working out our own salvation, a phrase that Paul used to the Philippians. Work out your own salvation, he said, with fear and trembling. How? By faith. But what kind of faith? Faith that will what? Work the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not works of the law of Moses, which has been nailed to the cross, but works of obedient faith by which we appropriate or accept the grace of God without which we could never be saved. And so we're to encourage one another in love and good works. And when we respond to such edification properly, the church grows. The church grows in both of these essential characteristics. It grows in love. It grows in good works. Thus, the effects of edification, the manifestation of it in the church include what? Peace, comfort. Comfort is... And has been comforted. Growth in spirit. Yes, in number and in favor with God. And love and good works. Oh, how important edification is. Can a church with, that, with these qualities, can a church with these qualities be anything but pleasing to God and Christ? On the other hand, can a church that is without these qualities be blessed by God and Christ? We must edify. We must edify. And so in closing, we ask, what is the key to edification? What's the key to it? Let Paul answer it in his statement to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 32. His parting words to the elders on that occasion were these. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, there it is, and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God, I commend it to you, Paul said. It is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul referred to God's word as the word of his what? The word of his grace. Reminding us that God's word has come to us through his marvelous grace and that his word will enable us to grow in grace as we obey it and teach it to others. Oh yes, we must rely on God's word to build us up in this life if we expect the Lord to take us up to be with him in the next life. What about you? Are you among those who are stirring up love and good works in your brothers and sisters? You can't be doing it if they are not yet your brothers and sisters. In other words, you can't be doing it unless you are among the brothers and sisters. Unless you have obeyed the gospel of Christ. Unless you have brought your life into harmony with the will of Christ. How do you do that? By faith? Yes. What kind of faith though? The kind of faith that will move you forward to repent of your sins, to confess Jesus as the Christ, and to be buried in baptism for the remission 
of your sins. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And as you rise as one who has been saved from past sins, from the watery grave, cleansed therein by the blood of Christ, you can rise to edify. You've been edified. You've been saved. And you can rise to edify others. Something you cannot do outside of Christ. And if this morning you know that your life has not continued to be one in which you have considered others to stir up their love and good works because your life itself has, has brought shame upon the Lord's body as a Christian who has wandered. Come home. Come home. Let us pray for you and with you to the God of heaven who will restore you to that life you once loved and once knew, a life in which you can once again, as you once did, edify others as you yourself are restored. And for all those who need no repentance, but who are among those who are carrying out to the fullest extent of your ability the edifying of your brothers and sisters in love and good works, keep up the good work. If you need to respond, let's stand and sing to encourage you.